Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is John Hill. John is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Carhartt, an American apparel company founded in 1889. John's been with the company for almost six years and spent time as Chief Information Officer, adding the role of SVP of Planning in late 2017 before taking on his role as CDIO in September of 2021. John spent time as a CIO and a technology executive at organizations such as the Government of Ontario, WSIB, and Granger before joining Carhartt. John, welcome to Technovation. Thanks, Peter. Happy to be here. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Lunkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The, the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this last thing. Every single time they have to enter their password, change their password, can't remember their password or any other problems, please remember transmit security. And now on to the interview. Well, John, I mentioned a brief overview of Carhartt, but you obviously can do it better justice than I can. Uh, talk a bit about uh, this, this more than century old uh, organization and the business that you're in, please. Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, Carhartt's uh, mission is to serve and protect hardworking uh, folks. So we're a premium workwear company with three main business segments. First, we, we sell to other retailers. So you'll find our product at Dick Sporting Goods or Tractor Supply, uh, among other uh, retailers. We sell directly uh, to consumers in our own stores and through our digital channels. And then finally, we've got a, a burgeoning uh, business that's focused on helping companies to outfit their employees with uniforms. So for example, United Airlines outfits all of their employees below the wing with Carhartt uh, apparel. And I mentioned that you were the chief digital and information officer. Talk a bit about your purview and the two sides of your set of responsibilities. Yeah, uh, so from a, a role responsibility, I've got basically all technology inside Carhartt. There's no separate digital versus you know, backend ERP. So my team takes care of everything from the e-commerce space all the way back through what happens in our distribution centers and supply chain. So the full technology landscape. I have a digital uh, strategy responsibility for the company in terms of figuring out how we're going to deploy technology. And then my team also takes care of all of the analytics and data science programs. So uh, the data scientists, the BI engineers, the data engineers, they're in my organization as well. And then I've had responsibility for uh, working on our uh, transformation efforts in terms of you know, how do we uh, take technology and uh, deploy them. 
Can you talk a little bit more about some of those transformation efforts? It's interesting, uh, the, the set of responsibilities you have around technology and digital. Talk a bit about some of how digital plays in an organization like yours and sources of innovation from it. So as you mentioned, I, I joined, well, I guess it's almost six years ago. And over that time, we've essentially replaced virtually everything inside of CARHART from a technology landscape. You know, we started uh, initially to put in a, a number of edge applications that didn't exist. So think about things like uh, product lifecycle management, uh, CRM, uh, digital asset management. And we a lot of those technologies didn't exist in Carhartt, so we put those in place first uh, before moving to uh, a revamping of our systems of record. So think of systems of record as ERP, the e-commerce platforms. We knew those would be much more disruptive, and we wanted to put in place some other applications that could continue to evolve while the disruptive work was going on. So in late 2018, you know, we sat down as a leadership team and made the decision that we were going to, to change our ERP. And, and you know, we, I'll say we were on SAP and it was a highly customized version of SAP, over 2,000 customizations, made it very difficult to, to really move at the pace we wanted to move because any kind of change required a lot of regression testing to, to make sure everything was working. So as, a, as an executive team, we say, listen, we want to get back to standard. We want to be able to take advantage of the best practices that have been put together by you know, a company like SAP and, and, and not customize it. So we put together a, a business team. We actually took one of our senior sales executives out of her role. She came over reporting to me, and we brought in people from finance, from supply chain, uh, product, all parts of the business who reported to her functionally and, and she became part of my organization. Their mission was to figure out how we could get back to standard, re-engineer our processes to become much more agile and nimble. So over the, the last couple of years, we, we did that work. We first put in uh, ERP for our retail business and then went live with our wholesale and our supply chain business uh, this summer. Uh, and then we'll, in the US, I should say, and we will roll that out to our European business next summer. That customization went from over 2,000 to under 200 uh, customizations. Now, uh, interestingly, we thought that wasn't going to be hard enough. So we decided to replace our e commerce system, our point of sale system at, at the same time, and then decide to open up a new distribution uh, 3PL as well. So over that same two-year time period while we were replacing the ERP, we, you know, said we put in the new point of sale. And then this summer, we uh, put in uh, a new e-commerce platform for the U.S. and um, a new 3PL. We'll roll out the uh, e-commerce platform next summer uh, at the same time we do the ERP with for Europe. And my team thought, well, we could do a little more. And the business asked us to change fiscal years as well. So we did that this summer. Uh, so I would say that I would not recommend doing what we did. Uh, it, it, um, we certainly had challenges, but we knew we would have challenges with that type of level of change uh, in the organization. And, and it's, it's been a rough summer. Um, you know, luckily I didn't have hair when it started, so I didn't have to, <laughs> I didn't have to worry about uh, losing it anymore. But you know we've we've really had that approach of you know how can we you know kind of redo all the plumbing you know get ourselves in a good space to 
to continue to uh, innovate on. And I feel like we've done that. And the last piece we've done is accelerate our, our move to the cloud. So all of these key platforms were put into, um, into the cloud. Uh, and we're in the process of moving some other applications uh, to Azure right now. We will have just a few things left over uh, in our own data centers uh, this fall but we hope in a year to be completely out of our data center, uh, have nothing left. We've moved our voice to a cloud uh, solution, moved to an SD-WAN. So we've been fairly aggressive in making those moves over the last year as well. Wow, that is a tremendous amount of transformation. And as you think about um, you know, revamping your systems of record, multiple of them essentially sequentially, excuse me, uh, uh, at the same time, in fact, um, how, what were some of the keys to success? You mentioned it was a rough summer. I'm sure there were some 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 times when it felt like it was two steps forward and one step back. But I'm curious, you know, from a change management perspective or communications perspective, or you know, engaging the broader leadership. You know, what were some of the the keys to make sure that even as you were during some you were in the throes of some of the more trying aspects of this change, that you kept people focused on the the end goal and the rationale uh, for the change itself. Well, I think it's important if you step back to where we were, everybody knew, you know, not just from an IT, we had made it clear that we couldn't continue to do what we wanted on the platforms we had. So there was no lack of, of desire from my business colleagues to, to make the move. In fact, we had a all executive meeting late in 2018, and we had a couple of, of line execs stand up and say, we need to get to a standard ERP. So, you know, we had built that understanding right at the beginning, even before it launched, that that's what we we're going to do. If, if SAP could do it, we were going to do it that way. Um, so I think that's number one. Uh, the That um, moving everybody into a cross-functional team, functional team, as opposed to, um, you know, assigning people and they're still in their day jobs, you know, I think was the other thing that was important because we had a team that was highly focused, working together, to kind of make the changes. If, if we didn't have them cross-functionally, I think we could have, we probably wouldn't have been as successful because you know the finance team might have looked at, I, I want to do it this way. Supply chain, I want to do it this way. But bringing them all together, having them work for one leader, I think was, was really helpful. The steering committee, in terms of if my if that team decided that that a, that they didn't support a customization, the executive steering committee that would make the decision on that consisted of just three people. Myself, the president, and the owner. As a result, nothing came to us um, for for that. I think you know people decided, hey, we're going to work it out. You know, we didn't have battles, you know, with the executive team. That team did a really good job of of communicating throughout that two year journey. Every month, coming to the executives, sharing what's the progress. Um, so I think that was helpful. The other thing we did at the beginning was we spent the first three months documenting the current processes. Rather than just jumping into the 2B, we document all the current processes. So it made it really easy to, to always take it back to this is the way you're doing it now. This is the way you're doing it in the future. Um, we did hire a change management firm to, to help us up front. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, yeah, listen, anybody who's done an ERP migration knows that it doesn't matter what you do. They're unbelievably challenging. Uh, and, you know, we, I think we did the best we could to put ourselves in the right position, you know, to be successful. At, on day one, we could take an order, we could ship an order, and we could invoice an order. An order. And, 
you know, there's, like I said, we certainly have, you know, we had some defects and some things to work on um, that I've got, we've got lessons learned on, but I think those are some of the key successes. You mentioned also that part of your purview is data and analytics and that you've been in the throes of, of uh, changing some things around there and, and, and bolstering and strengthening your capabilities from that perspective. Could you take a moment and, and talk a bit about the, the methods and the outcomes you're at least hoping for uh, on that side as well? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is that the, the world of data and analytics is, is frankly just an insatiable uh, demand. You know, no matter what we do, there's people looking for more and more. And we started the data program at CARHAR probably about four years ago, four and a half years ago. We didn't have any data scientists. You know, we had a fairly small team and we've been um, very aggressively working to, you know, put in a program. And, you know, our, our vision is to, to make sure that we've got uh, data folks you know, kind of lined up to every part of the, the business to be able to uh, help them engineer the data to do the build the algorithms and help them analyze it. The the challenge that we we frankly have right now is is you know we've we've put in um, some AI ML just like probably everybody else and we've had some good uh, results on that. But there's more that we need to do in terms of kind of re-engineering that data platform. You know the data platform has evolved over time. And, you know, we've got every flavor of, of, of technology, I'm sure, just like, you know, other listeners. Um, but we're going to use this as an opportunity to re-engineer that and reimagine it and not have it be uh, the data platform be the result of what we know in terms of, you know, the engineers, what they know, but rather what do we want it to be. Uh, I think we've had a good example of, of success stories um, we built uh, an AI uh, application which sits on mapping technology, which helps our sales team, you know, work to understand, you know, where what do we do in terms of opening new doors with with our customers. Uh, our DSC team uh, uses it in terms of evaluating uh, market segments to go open a, a store, and so you know it's got a great foundation. And people see that there is power in in that space. So, they say there certainly builds that uh, insatiable demand is the best way I can I can say it right now. Um, but um, you know we're doing our best to continue to add folks as quickly as possible. Very interesting, John. Another uh, fascinating uh, facet of your your uh, evolution as a leader is you're pursuing a doctorate. I was really interested to learn in a recent conversation you and I had. Um, uh, talk a bit about, first of all, why, why you elected to do so, and, and uh, uh, also your area of focus with, uh, with your, your study. Yeah. I, you know, I, I started the uh, doctoral program actually two years ago, virtually, you know, to, the, to uh, this point right now, this week. Uh, and it's something I meant to do first my whole adult life. I actually started a PhD very early on after I finished my master's. And at the time, it just wasn't the right, it wasn't the right moment in time for me. So I, I put that on the back burner and, and said to myself, I'd always come back to it. And I don't know why I felt like, you know, now is the time. A lot of people looked at me like crazy that uh, as a senior executive that I could, you know, find the time to do this. Uh, but, you know, my, my oldest, you know, was in college, my youngest in high school, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, she had a car. I wasn't shuttling people around to, you know, to hockey games or any of those things anymore. So I figured, you know, now is the time uh, to do it. 
And um, you know, my doctorate is in um, business administration. Uh, at, uh, I'm working at with uh, Florida Institute of Technology down in uh, Melbourne, Florida. So uh, it, you know, the the research I've done is on why uh, why do digitalization efforts by firms fail to produce digital capabilities? And you know, I had you know a lot of practical experience in that space. I've talked to lots of CIOs, and so. You know that that's where I started in terms of you know my uh, dissertation work. I have um, I've gone through uh, all of the data collection and I'm in the write up now. And I can certainly, uh, if you want, I can I can spend some time talking about you know what's was the dissertation topic and you know Please. where is preliminary research. Yeah. Um. So the 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 the, the hypotheses is that that. The amount of money that a firm spends on digitalization, their project management and change management competencies, that those really aren't going to be the key drivers in terms of a firm's ability to create you know, digital, um, digital capabilities, that there's some other organizational uh, constructs that are going to drive that. And you know, identified three uh, constructs, organizational slack, organizational alignment, and speed which are really in an umbrella term that I've called uh, digital agility. Now, I was somewhat lucky that nobody else used that term, digital agility. And, frank- and frankly, I was somewhat stunned that, that it hadn't been used in, the, in either the press or the literature in uh, any degree. So I've got that as the, um, the uh, construct. So organizational slack, just real quick, what does that mean? You know, that, that doesn't mean that I just have people sitting on the bench you know, waiting for work to do. It means that there's resources in an organization that can be redeployed from low value or not time sensitive activities to high, you know, high impact, time sensitive uh, things. So think about, um, you know, organizations that might reserve, you know, 5% of the time for innovation tasks or, you know, time for development, you know, personal development. In those organizations that have that slack, if there's a complex digitalization effort going on that requires people to all of a sudden be redeployed, having the ability to move those folks and not take them off of other things is, is, a, is a significant uh, driver. Uh, organizational alignment, you know, it sounds um, kind of like a, a, a no kidding kind of uh, point, but it's a little more complex than that. A lot of of companies will say, yes, we're aligned. Let's let, we're going to go do these three things. However, most of them don't understand what does that mean that to go do those three things. Do they really understand what's going on inside of the organization at an operations level? Do, do they understand what capacities might exist inside of inside of the company to do it? Do they understand when there's a conflict between various initiatives? What takes priority? It's all of those concepts around organizational alignment that that you know the the research would say that um, are impacting you know the ability of firm to deliver, and then the last thing is speed. You know these these type of initiatives um, require a, a, a firm to move quickly to try to put something into production as quickly as possible, learn from and adjust. I think any any of your listeners that you know have. I've been in the world of agile, you know, certainly we'll see, you know, the ability to, to create a minimum viable product, get it to market quickly and, and, and learn 
uh, is key. So what I what I did is I uh, surveyed 132 uh, CIOs. Uh, it's a pretty significant number of C-level executives to, to get uh, a survey on uh, from a whole range from $10 billion plus companies down to less than $250 million companies across 13 different industries. So a very wide um, selection. And the results show that, um, as I expected, that the level of spend, project management, and change management are not statistically significant. Uh, predictors of the ability to create uh, digital capabilities relative to a firm's competitors. I did everything in terms of how does a company relate to their, their competitors. However, we did see that digital agility as a whole then was statistically significant, that those were predictors of a company um, being able to create digital capabilities that exceeds those of, of its competitors. And, and interestingly, I also did a check to see the do digital capabilities turn into better performance for the firm. And same thing, we saw a high correlation between a company's digital capabilities relative to its competitors and its financial performance related to its competitors. So I'm in that period now where I'm doing the write-up and I'll look to publish these results on, well, if people know in the uh, academic world, it takes some time before you can actually get it into the press uh, and literature, but that's the next step is just finishing the write-ups. What, what do you find are some of the hindrances to this sort of, uh, this sort of change? As you point out, and it's, it's encouraging to hear, uh, those, those organizations that go about the very difficult work that you just described your own organization going, going through uh, under your leadership, uh, that, that, that despite the, some pain perhaps in the short and medium term, there is long-term gain uh, for the transformation required to do what you've described. And what, do you, what have you found uh, for those who have found it difficult to make the case to, to create this sort of change and transformation? What have been some of the impediments? You know, I think number one is, you know, that executive alignment inside of the organization. You know, there's there are so many um, competing priorities that need to get done. And, you know, does a company step, step back and say, what am I not going to do in order to do this? And I think that's probably more important than what am I going to do? I think the organizations that do well are very good about saying, I'm not going to do these things. And I know we did as a company, we sat back and we were brutal. We are not doing these things. We said, we're only doing these top items. These are what's gonna be critical to our future. So I think that's a key differentiator. Uh, and if, if any kind of complex transformation is gonna be led by a single exec and, and, and hope that it's gonna get through and all the rest of the business is moving at the same time, I think that is probably foolish at best. Uh, to to assume that that's going to work because those those other execs are going to have to say I'm not going to do X Y and Z or I'm not going to expect these outcomes uh, and that's tough you know for you know type A um, executives yeah that makes sense what 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 uh, prompted your interest in getting a doctorate do you hope in one one day to 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 teach to to be a professor at, at a university for example as a as a, your the next phase of your career. Yeah, I would say, yeah, career 2.0 would be, you know, being a professor somewhere, right? I'm not going to be probably one of those tenure uh, 
track types of folks. But, you know, I'd love to you know, teach at MBA uh, program level uh, somewhere. Um, so that's my, you know, my next evolution of my career. Uh, once I decide to hang up the CIO shingle. That's great. I wanted to also ask you, as you look to the future, John, what are some trends that particularly excite you? You know, I, I, as I mentioned before, AI and ML, I, I think we're just, you know, really scraping the um, kind of the surface of what's possible in those spaces. You know, we see opportunities in how we forecast uh, product needs, for example. A large amount of our product is uh, replenishment. We, we sell, you know, this shirt, we sell these shirts, you know, every year, um, we might add colors, but it's, it's not a, we're not a fashion company. In other words, we don't, we don't, you know, do a lot of one and dones and, you know, then we're on to a different style the next season. But how do you predict that, that business, you know, typically use a normal planning type of approach, but we, we feel like there's a lot of opportunity to take a number of factors. It could be, the number of doors, that's the number of stores that are opening, the size of the um, the pad that we might have in those stores, you know, what's happening from an economic or social uh, perspective at the time, where the trends line, trend lines look like. So we feel like we can automate that replenishment business kind of end to end from demand all the way through to replenishment in our supply chain. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. We see a lot of opportunity to uh, predict um, what might uh, be um, moving in terms of local micro segments, you know, with uh, AI. So a lot there. The next thing I think is going to be interesting is how do we take all this work? And, and you know, I mentioned the data scientists, but, you know, no company can afford to have a ton of data scientists. Uh, and how do we create citizen data scientists? In other words, give them, you know, the tools that, you know, the basic algorithms that they can start doing some of the work themselves without having gone through a, a PhD in, in data science. Um, and, and, you know, there's some tools out there that are starting to come into play that we think, you know, may have some, um, some opportunities. I think the third thing that we're excited about is taking the digitalization work that we've done and move them into areas like product development and uh, sustainability. Uh, product development, we've, we've got you know, tools that are already there, for example, on 3D, um, doing um, you know, a lot of that development process there. But I think there's more we can do in terms of tying that together with our supply chain partners and integrating that whole space so that you know, real, there's no physical um, samples that we can um, really uh, truly digitalize that space. If we do that, we cut a lot of cycle time out of, of what it takes to create a new product. And then in sustainability, you know, the industry is certainly looking at what's that circular economy look like for a product, not only um, you know, to, to sell it, but we, you know, a number of our products are repaired and passed down generation to generation. So how do we, we provide information to that person who's repairing the product about the product and how to repair it? And then if it does need to go into, um, into um, landfill or other methods, well, how can the, the party that is, is going to take that product and, 
and dispose of it? How can they they uh, recycle part of it and dispose of other parts uh, properly? So we see that as a pretty interesting space um, for digitalization efforts as well. Well, John Hill, thank you so much for sharing a bit about the remarkable transformation of a 132-year-old company that you are a leader of, uh, the various aspects of that transformation, some of the areas that you're studying now and getting your doctorate and your vision for the future on a variety of different fronts. It's been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me.